Uh, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Lamentations, chapter 1. Um, are we live? Are we, are we up? No? I was, I was going to say hi. Are, now we are. We are? Hey, Facebook people. Thanks for being with <laughs> us. So, um, all right. So we're looking at the book of Lamentations, chapter 1. So we are starting a new series today um, called All Things Must Pass. And we're going to do a meditation on grief, and which sounds, it, it's going to be just as much fun as it sounds. <laughs> so, um, so and, and the thing is, since the very beginning of this pandemic, um, I have known, I mean, really, uh, since, since before I preached my first remote sermon, there was a part of me that thought, like, we're going to need to do some sermons on, on the concept of grief. It's just, it, it's just a foregone conclusion, because um, I've known eventually we were going to have to spend some time talking about this. And um, and there, there was a part of me that thought at the very beginning, like, we're probably going to have to talk about grief because they were already, like, counting deaths and people were losing jobs. And so there was a part of me that thought, like, we're going to have to do a, a series on grief. And I, I almost did it, like, right when the pandemic started. And then I realized, like, no, this is, this is going to take some time. Like, I don't think we know yet what we're going to be grieving. And um, and it tur- turns out we're, we're, sti- we're a, you know, a year, year and a half plus through in, into this. And we still don't quite know what exactly we're, we're grieving, but um, but I, I it, it seems like the right time to talk about it. So um, at, at this moment, just in uh, the United States, s- over 750,000 people have died of COVID-19. Um, and I, ca- I, I looked at the, the Tarrant County numbers yesterday, um, and as of yesterday, 4,763 people in Tarrant County have died of COVID-19. And... Um, and, and maybe you knew, maybe, maybe that's not just a number for you. Maybe, maybe there are people, one or two, if, if not more people that you knew and, or that you knew someone who knew someone um, and th- who are among those numbers. And that, that's a real number. Those, those are real human beings. Those are people's family and friends and, clo- and loved ones. And, um, and so p- lives have been lost in the last year and a half, and not, not just to COVID, but to other things as well. Like may- maybe, maybe you had to grieve a, like a, a, a secondary loss or an- another kind of loss. Um, like I knew somebody um, w- within three weeks of the beginning of the pandemic, a guy that I used to work with uh, passed away, not of COVID-19, but he died. And we were still in that like full-blown lockdown mode where no one, no one was going anywhere, no one was gathering. And so we never had a funeral for this guy. Um, to this day, they, they never had a funeral for him. And, um, and so there was the loss of the guy, but there was also the loss of um, the ability to grieve in normal sorts of ways, which is its own kind of loss. Um, maybe, maybe you know somebody or maybe you are someone who experienced a job loss during this time because the economy changed and because certain, certain types of jobs became more or less in demand and you lost some income. Maybe you've had relationships that have been fractured because of various types of disagreements uh, over the past, I don't know, five, six years, um, but specifically in the last year and a half or, or so. Um, maybe you've, um, you've, you've seen relationships get fractured and, and you've had to reckon with those kinds of losses. Um, I'll just say from, from the perspective of this church, our church is not the same place it was before the pandemic started. Uh, we were uh, back back in 2000, at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, we, we were having... We, we were seeing lots of new faces. We were seeing, um, we, we, we were experiencing uh, like a, a pretty strong level of community, I would say. We had a, we, we had just had our um, big annual get together where everybody gets together and we have, uh, we, ha- we have a dinner and play bar trivia and 
um, we, just we were in a really good place, I think, as a church. And then we had to shut down for a year. And we, we since come, we came back in May, and we're still not quite the same place. It's and and that's that's a thing that I, I've had to sort of reckon with and deal with. And so we, as as a society, we as a church, we as individuals, we we've been in a season of massive grief and massive loss, and we need to talk about it. Um, I. <laughs> I named this series after I I, I, t- I tend to name series after like music um, because that's just how my brain works. But um, I, I named the series after the George Harrison album that he released right after the Beatles broke up um, because I, I feel like when when George Harrison released his album All Things Must Pass in 1971, he was basically giving the world permission, basically confirming to the world, yeah, the Beatles are, are officially broken up, and yeah, like lots of people are sad about it, and so just in, in the release of something new, he had to acknowledge that something had been lost. You know, like, yeah, we're all sad about the loss of the Beatles, but then there's also, like, but we're, we're going to create something new out of that. So I wanted to um, kind of, uh, and I, I really love that album, so I wanted to, to kind of pay homage to that but with, with the, the t- just even, even naming the series, just acknowledging that th- this comes from, like, yeah, even, even when something new is born, something had to have, have been lost in the process. So, um, Here's the thing about loss and grief. Loss and grief are built into the system. Um, we, we come from a long line of folks who have needed to make sense of grief and loss. And so we're going to spend, uh, for, the, for the duration of the series, we're going to look at the book of Lamentations, which is not like the most fun thing we can do. Like, I, I don't know if, um, I, don't, I don't know what you, <laughs> what you look for when you wake up on Sunday mornings and you show up here, but uh, I don't know if like the book of Lamentations is like high on your list of things that you're hoping we could spend lots of time on. I, I w- uh, I've told this story before, but w- one time I was preaching at another church, and uh, it was a church I used to work for, and uh, this lady came in, and uh, she asked me, she said, are you preaching today? And I said, yeah. She said, are you going to be funny? And um, <laughs> because that's my defense mechanism. I, when, when I feel nervous, I try really hard to be funny. And um, so when I'm preaching, I'm never comfortable until everybody's laughed at least once. And so I told her, I said, I'm, I said I'll let you be the judge of that, but I'm certainly going to try. And so uh, some, sometimes it's easier to be funny than it is uh, than, than others. And I'll tell you that uh, when you start a book or when you start a series called All Things Must Pass and you say, we're going to spend the next four or five weeks looking at the Book of Lamentations, not a lot of opportunities for like chuckles. So um, I, I, I don't know that this will be funny or not. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best, but, um, but that, that's certainly not, uh, that, that's not the top priority of the series. So anyway, we're going to focus on the Book of Lamentations because the Book of Lamentations is a place where grief is fully expressed and where people can fully kind of um, look and, and say like, okay, w- we are grieving. What does grief look like? The Book of Lamentations provides a pretty solid model for that. So we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at the entire first chapter of, of Lamentations today. So we'll just sort of go through it as and stop it, start start and stop as we go. So in Lamentations one, beginning in verse one, it says, "How deserted lies the city, once so full of people! How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations! She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night; tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her." All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion, Zion's another word for Jerusalem. Uh, The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. 
Her priests groan. Her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. So a couple of things going on. The narrator describes a city, and the city is Jerusalem, and, it's, and the city is personified as a she. So anytime you see the feminine pronoun throughout the, bo the book of Lamentations, that's usually a reference to the city of Jerusalem. So she has been destroyed. She has been hauled away into exile. So he, here's the historical context of all this. So around 500 BCE, she, Jerusalem, used to be the center of the universe for a specific group of people. People used to come from all over the world for her festivals. And notice that it says the roads are desolate. No one's coming into the city anymore. No one is coming for it. No one is coming or going. The, the roads themselves have been deserted, going in and out of the city. There are no more festivals. There, there is no more celebration. She used to be the center of the universe for the Jewish people, and now she is abandoned. And so some people, and, and the question of like when exactly the Book of Lamentations was written is kind of up for debate. Uh, some people believe that um, the poem, the, the Book of Lamentations is a series of poems, not unlike the Book of Psalms. So some believe that um, the Book of Lamentations came directly out of the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem sometime around uh, the year 586 BCE. Others say that it was likely a series of conquests and hardships, and these poems are about a larger time period that kind of spans uh, a, a broader uh, a broader time span. Regardless, either way, these are poems about the destruction of Jerusalem. So the, the thing we need to know is Jerusalem was the center of the universe. Jerusalem was where people went for their religious festivals. This was where they would go to connect with their God and with their people. And now the city has been destroyed and the roads have been abandoned. So that's where we're at with it in, in Lamentations uh, chapter 1. So then in verse 5, it says, her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness, they have fled before the pursuer. So, um, have, you ever, me, have you ever known someone who, whose house burned to the ground and they, and they just lost everything? And then all they can think about are all the things that they lost in the fire. That, that's sort of what you have in Lamentations 1. This is where Lamentations is coming from. The city has been devastated, torched, it's been pulverized. And all the, the poet is doing here is sort of like chronicling, here are all the things that have been lost. The roads are desolate. Every, every, like the, the people who used to be put on a pedestal are laid waste. So like everything has been devastated, torched. So then in verse 7, it says, in the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all her treasures uh, that were hers in the days of old. When her people fell into enemy hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her naked, which means they've seen her shame. She herself groans and turns away. Then in verse 9, her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. And then all of a sudden, she speaks. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. So now, uh, partway through verse 9, the woman, the city, speaks. But right away, so there, there are different voices in the book of Lamentations. One is the narrator, who is kind of removed a little bit. And then you have the city who is like taking this very personally, the, the woman. So right away we get back to the removed narrator. So then in verse 10, it says, The enemy laid hands on all her treasures, and she saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary. Um, 
the, those who have been, uh, sorry, I lost my place. Those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, Lord, and consider, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? This is her speaking again. Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in, in the days of his fierce anger? From on high he sent fire, sent it down into my bones. He spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He made me desolate, faint all day long. My sins have been bound into a yoke. By his hands they were woven together. They, um, sorry. They have been hung on my neck, and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has given me into, his, into the hands of those I cannot withstand. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. In his winepress, the Lord has trampled virgin daughter Zion, or sorry, virgin daughter Judah. This is why I weep, and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Okay, so now the question becomes, whose fault is it? This goes back to sort of what we were talking about when we were talking about Psalm 44. Who do we blame for this? Because we always want someone to blame. At one point, it's God's fault, or according to, to, the, uh, to the woman. But then in another place, it's the woman's fault, or the city's fault. And then there are, there's one point where there are these soldiers who could have helped, but they don't. So there's, there's lots of, like, kind of like a scattershot of, like, who do we blame here? And the writer doesn't even seem to know exactly who to blame. Like, it's just every, like we're, we're putting a little bit of blame at it to, on everybody. And then, um, and then in verse 17, it says, uh, if I can find it, it says, Zion, or Jerusalem, stretches out her hand, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob that his neighbors become his foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you peoples, look on my suffering. My young men and young women have gone into exile. I called to my allies, but they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they searched for food to keep themselves alive. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and my heart, and in my heart I am disturbed. For I have been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves. Inside there is only death. People have heard my groaning, but no, there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress, and they rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you, you have announced, so they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my sin. My groans are many, and my heart is faint. Okay, so next time you're like trying to pick out a graduation card for somebody with a good Bible verse on the inside of it, try and find one that says, my groans are many and my heart is faint. <laughs> or if somebody says, like, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? Um, oh, I don't know. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my... Like, you know, are, are you kidding me? Like, this, this, is, this, this is like a, a pouring, an emotional pouring out of, um, of grief and sorrow. Notice, by the way, um, God never speaks. It, so far in, in the book of Lamentations, God does not utter a word. There's, there's no little Jesus moment at the end that tells everyone that it's all going to be fine. It's just, it, the, the whole thing is chaos and confusion. It's sorrow. It's lament. And when it, when it comes to loss and grief, quite often we want to take a posture of denial. So we come across poems where people are just pouring out their suffering and their emotions and we don't even know what to do with it because we're so much more comfortable when we're just not dealing with it, when we're ignoring it. We, we don't know what to do with loss or death or grief. So often, we, we'd rather not face it at all. Um, 
I, uh, I remember I, 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 the number of times I've attended funerals where the, the person giving the talk or the eulogy will say something to the effect of, I know we're sad, but really this is all for the best. Well, what, what, what's going on there? What the person is doing is the, the person is trying to fast forward through the hard part. They're trying, to get, they're, they're trying to deny the suffering and the grief just to get to the good part, the, like the, the happy part. I remember one time I, I was at a funeral um, for, uh, for a young woman who died just way too early by accident, and it was tragic. It was awful, and the family was grieving like no other family I've ever, like, like grief that I've never seen before. And I remember the priest stood up at the, at the front and said, look, I know a lot of us are sad here today, but really our sadness right now is selfish because she's in a better place. And I remember being so angry when he said that. And I remember thinking, like, I wanted to stand up and, like, shove the guy out of the way and be like, no, listen. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't do that. That would have been um, highly irregular um, to, to have done that. But, um, but, but to, to say to a group of people who are grieving, like, that you're being selfish, to say to a mother who's grieving the loss of her daughter, to say to this 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 woman's, this girl's sisters and to her friends and to, to the people who cared about her, that you, to, to call them selfish in that moment. That, that's, that's not just theologically bad. I would argue that's, that, that's like pastoral malpractice. Like I, I would argue there, there, there is something like truly broken about someone who would say to a group of grieving people, you're being selfish for, for your grief. Um, and, and, the re- and I get why he said that. I, I realize he's trying to be comforting. He's trying to offer some sort of hope in the midst of that. Not, and there's nothing wrong with trying to offer people hope. But to, to call them selfish, like, what? Why, why, why do that? Well, because we don't know what to do with loss or death or grief. We, we don't know how to handle it. And so we'd rather just ignore it. We'd rather get past it. And we'd rather say, well, it's selfish to, to grieve. But ha- have you ever read the Book of Lamentations? Are you kidding me? Like, all this is, is grief and chaos and confusion. The power of lament is that it speaks the things that we would rather repress, is that it actually gives voice to the things that we would rather not look at and rather not acknowledge. There's a writer named Judith Lewis Herman who writes, the typical response to atrocity or trauma is to banish it from consciousness. The typical response is to say it's not there, is to ignore it because it's so hard to acknowledge the loss and the pain and the things that we actually have to have to deal with. How, how many families or relationships that you can think of would have been far better off if someone had said had just sat down and said, okay, listen, I know we don't want to talk about this, but we actually have to talk about this. Because it's really hard to talk to talk about it. It's really hard to deal with the things that we've lost and the and the things that we've had to grieve. The power of lament is to speak those words that your environment might naturally suppress and shove to the edges. The power of lament is that it says we can't stop, we, we cannot ignore this. Um, there, there is something inside of us that needs to acknowledge the pain and the struggle. This is why Nirvana was so popular in the 90s. This is, this is, why, this is why we have punk music at all, because, because sometimes we have to express grief and pain and we have we have to be able to give voice to the things that that, that need to be spoken and we need we need to acknowledge it in fact when you look at w- when the woman speaks what is what is her complaint what is her pressing need look at look at look at all the things that she says she says is it nothing to all you who pass by or no one is near to comfort me or she says listen 
all you people. Or I called and no one heard me. Look, look at what in uh, verse 16, this is what, what she says. She says, this is why I weep. And this is why my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me and no one to restore my spirit. She's not, her grief is not, her pain is not just because of the things that she's lost. Her pain is because no one sees her. No one acknowledges that this is going on. But the thing is, your ability to listen to the pain of another person and to be able to sit with the incoherent ramblings of another person in their grief is directly proportionate to how you can face your own pain. If I, if I, have, if I choose to live in denial, if I cannot face my own struggle and my own grief, then I can't adequately sit with grief with, with another person. And the poem speaks right to us. How do we grieve? How do you let it out? The woman asks, is there any suffering like my suffering? She's fully acknowledging her own struggle and her own pain. There's a writer uh, named Kathleen O'Connor, who, by the way, if you're, if you're ever sitting around thinking, like if you're looking for a book to read, if you're looking for a good stocking stuffer, and you're like, I'd really like a good commentary on the book of Lamentations, <laughs> um, Kathleen O'Connor's your gal. She, she's written probably the best commentary on Lamentations I've ever read. And this is what she writes. She writes, Lamentation names what is wrong, which is out, what is out of order in God's world, what keeps human beings from thriving in their creative potential. Simple acts of lament expose these conditions, name them, open them to grief and anger, and make them visible for remedy. In its complaint, anger and grief, lamentation protests uh, condition that prevents human thriving. And this resistance may finally prepare the way for healing. And then she goes on and she writes, Contrary to what people often think, the key to easing people's suffering is not in offering some, uh, um, basically some explanation for why people suffer, but in allowing a place for people to mourn and to meet others who know what it is to have been burned by that black sun. This is not about providing an answer, but rather offering a site where we can speak our suffering. This may seem a little depressing, but such spaces are really sites of liberation and light. So she's saying it's when we name the suffering that we actually are empowered to heal from the, from the pain. We cannot grieve something that cannot be spoken. So the question becomes, is there anything that needs to be spoken? Is there any grief that, or pain or struggle that you need to name? When I, was, um, when I first started with my current therapist, uh, one of the first things that she had me do was make a grief journal. And I did it using a spreadsheet because that's how my brain works. Um, and so, um, and, and so, and, and that, that way I could like quantify like which things I was like still grieving and which things I, I felt like I had adequately grieved. And not, j and it, I, I started uh, seeing my, my current therapist in the middle of the pandemic, um, but we went way back further, like all the way back to like when I was a kid and my parents split up, you know, like just all the way back as far as you can go. And just like, what are the things that, what are the losses that you've experienced? And in what ways have those things shaped you? And you can't heal from something if you can't name it. And you can't grow from something if you can't name it. So my therapist had me make a grief journal. Um, like again, going all the way back to when my parents split up when I was a kid, back to when I lost my job, the loss of friendships, any loss of a loved one or a close relationship, um, all, all through the pandemic, just all the, all the things that you lose when, you, uh, when, when you've lived to be 40 years old um, and all the losses that came along with that. 
So maybe the question becomes, do you need to make a grief journal? Do you need to like sit down? It doesn't have to be in a spreadsheet. That's just, I'm a, I'm a dork. So like that's just, that's just what I did. But it, it can be, um, it, it can be in, in that format. It can be just bullet points. It can be in paragraph form. You can, like, whatever it looks like. You, you can write it on the back of a, uh, of a napkin if you, if you want to. But just is like what, what things need to be named? Are there, are there things, are there losses? Are there things that need to be grieved that need to be named? And we'll talk a lot more about different aspects of grief throughout this series. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go a lot further through the Book of Lamentations. But it has to begin here. We, we have to be able to name the things that we've lost. If I can't name it, then I can't grieve it. So what are the things that need to be named? So I, I don't ever try and like offer like homework assignments, but if you need to make a grief journal, then maybe this week is a good time to do that. Maybe, maybe the beginning of grieving is, is naming the things that, that need to be grieved. So um, I, I don't know what that looks like for you. For each of us, it's probably a little bit different. I would imagine for a lot of us, there are some similarities because we've all collectively gone through um, similar trauma over the past couple of years. Um, but maybe it goes back a lot farther. Maybe there are things that you're still grieving that you don't know that you're grieving. Um, and maybe just taking an inventory of that would really help. So. You can't heal from something. You can't grow from something. If you, you can't grieve something if, if you can't name it. So what, uh, what needs to be grieved? What, what is it that you need to name? And may you do that. May you, may, may you find those things. May you see. May, may you find that there are others who see as well. Um, and may, you, um, may, your, may your healing and may your growth, may your grief journey begin by naming the things that need to be named. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the invitation to name our grief. We thank you for documents like the Book of Lamentation for reminding us that sometimes the most honest prayer we can pray is how long or can anybody see? So sometimes the prayer, our most honest prayer is wake up, God, can't you see us? And for those of us who need to pray those prayers, may we feel empowered to do so. For those of us who are grieving, may we name the thing that we're grieving. May we find that our healing and our growth begin with the ability to name that which we struggle to name. May we see the things that we need to see. May we refuse to listen to the lies that to grieve is to be selfish. And may we instead find that our healing begins with our grieving. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.